or something? No. Let's come back at dawn. He'll be asleep then, and we'll have a better chance of getting Amy. And Amy will be dead by then, too. Now, come on. Welcome to Fright Night. For real. Your move, creep. creep. I have come here to chew bubblegum and kick ass. And I'm all out of bubblegum. Flying saucers, which are really, yeah, you got it, time machines. I think a lot about this kind of stuff, about this kind of stuff, about this kind of stuff. <laughs> you think this is the real Quaid? It is, it is, it is, it is, it is. All right, welcome back to Terror Tinos. This is a movie discussion podcast created by two movie fanatics. My name is Michael Morales, and like always, I'm here with Angel Fernando de la Cruz de Leon. And if this is the first time you're listening to this podcast, well, you're listening to two childhood friends who, it wasn't the first time I met you. You were like 16 years old, and I, I was like about 17. Or no, no, I was 16, and you were 15. Yeah, I was just about to get my license because you were... <laughs> You were drunk, <laughs> and somebody said, hey, can you drive Mike's car? Hey, this is Mike. <laughs> and I was like, I was so nervous because I'm like, if I get like if I get pulled over, I can't get my license next week. And I was so nervous. And then you said your famous line, which well, was, oh, don't worry, they'll take it easy on you because I'm drunk. Which was a completely bullshit line. I, didn't, I have no clue. But I said, yeah, don't, they'll take it easy on you because, you're, you know, cops are like that. <laughs> You were doing the right thing, <laughs> driving your drunk friends home. But then I just remember because I'm like, okay, I walked in, like this is gonna be great. It's like my first real party, like high school party. <laughs> and then within the first five minutes, I had a reason to be like stressed out the whole rest of the party <laughs> until like I think two hours later, two and a half hours later, somebody said, "Oh, don't worry about driving. We found somebody." Oh, is that what? I don't, even, like, I don't even remember what happened. Yeah, because you were drunk, <laughs> <laughs> and hence a friendship that lasts forever. <laughs> Nothing draws you closer than imminent death or not getting a license. And the best part was, I kept, it was the first time I met you, and I kept saying, oh, maybe he'll sober up. And I'm like, not really. Because <laughs> you were you would get your beer, and you go to the back of the line and drink the beer until you got back to the front of the line and filled it up again. And I'm like, I don't think this guy's slowing down. <laughs> well, you did me a solid. And then eventually, <laughs> when we got to know each other, I we kind of found out that we have almost the same kind of movie references we love those kind of the same movies and that uh, that bond began let's face it i wasn't a big drinker so you <laughs> took advantage <laughs> so this podcast is basically us going back to our roots thinking about some of the movies that we saw back when we were kids and really kind of picking up the conversations we had back then and so this episode we're going to go back to a horror movie you know because this podcast kind of started as a well at least the idea was to like rediscover our kind of the fa our favorite horror movies Although we want to keep it open so that we could later in future episodes, we could talk about different types of movies. But we're going to our horror roots with Fright Night. Yeah, the original Fright Night first, because there was a remake, some sequels, but we're talking 1985, Fright Night. Mom, there are people next door. Oh, I guess the new owner's moving in. It's supposed to be very attractive. There are two guys out in the yard, and I think they're carrying a cough. There was a murder last night. Charlie thinks he saw the victim in this house. I saw him carry her body out in a plastic bag. 
I have a vampire living next door to me, and he's going to kill me if I don't protect myself. The vampire cannot enter your house without being invited first. This is our next door neighbor, Jerry Dandridge. Hello, Charlie. And this is written and directed by Tom Holland, not to be confused with the actor. From the womb. <laughs> yeah, not to... <laughs> was he, 20 years before he was made or 20 years before he was born. Yes, this is not the act. This is not the Spider-Man actor. This is uh, the, the filmmaker, Tom Holland. This is his directorial debut. And after this movie, he did uh, kind of famously, he did Child's Play, the first movie, which I guess after that really made him uh, one of the top horror directors. But I, I guess you could say this, this movie also gave him a reputation too. I, I would say he offered a modern day take on the Dracula idea. And I would also say that he might have kind of touched on some of Alfred Hitchcock's rear window too, with the whole peeping Tom aspect. And I think he even said uh, in an interview that he kind of borrowed elements from the boy who cried wolf fable. In this case, it's a vampire. Well, it's, it's a good setup. It's kind of like, let's, uh, let's, let's place some pieces on the, the chess pieces on the board so that later on when he finally gets proof, no one's going to believe him. You know, let's establish that he's, he's all on his own. So it's a good setup. It's classic. Yeah, I think this movie is very much asking the question, if you think your next door neighbor is a vampire, how can you convince your friends and family that you're telling the truth? Or, you know, and not have that being confused or being blamed for having an overactive imagination. In this case, it's Charlie Brewster, who is a horror-obsessed teenager. And I think he, he he's not taken serious because... Everyone thinks he's having trouble uh, gripping w- with reality or something. You know, what's your, what's your history on, on Fright Night? I mean, this is this came out in 1985. Yeah, dude, uh, we instant classic for me. I loved it. I loved the setup. I think what it was for me, it was not realistic as far as I think vampires are real. I, I thought the storyline was very realistic. Everybody kind of tends to be a little nosy, and that's what this taught me to not be. So, like, look the other way. <laughs> If you see somebody doing some horrible stuff that can't be explained, just go with it. And when they catch you and they give you a chance to, like, uh, hey, we'll leave you alone if you just act like you never saw anything, that might be the better choice. You know what I'm saying? But uh, me and my brother, like always, we watched it. Um, I loved instantly. I loved the sidekick, Ed, evil Ed. I just, I, I thought it was a good story. It was a movie like we could watch, and then a couple days later we could watch it again. It was, it was that good. And I, maybe I was seven or eight when it first came out, so it was scary enough to keep me in the horror mindset, like where when I walked down the hall to go to the bathroom, I had to turn on every light. But it wasn't so scary that I couldn't sleep for like weeks at a time. Mm-hmm. So it, it was the perfect mixture of scary and not scary. It was so funny, too, because I remember when I was a kid, I'd get this guy and the guy from Gremlins confused, the main guys. And I don't know if it was just white guys with short black hair, but like I was always like, oh, yeah, wait, this isn't the guy. Every time I put it on, like, this isn't the guy from Gremlins. But yeah, no, it's not the guy from Gremlins. It's never going to be the guy from Gremlins. Yeah, the actor you're talking about is William Ragsdale, who... You know, he's, I guess, mostly famous for this this movie. He went on to do uh, Herman's Head as a sitcom in the 90s or maybe late 80s. That's right. <laughs> that, uh, but, yeah, it's, he's kind of just known for this particular film. And he also starred in the sequel, the one that, that came after it. You know, you would see him in conventions and stuff like that. So he has embraced this kind of fandom around him. 
And so, yeah, I think I, I agree with you. I think I love the simplicity of this movie because it's really just a boy, a teenage boy who, you know, very much in, in the vein of Rear Window, he finds himself peep, peeping into his next door neighbor. And then when he finds that just the, the new neighbor is a vampire, he finds he finds himself like saying, I need to uh, convince my friends and family. And how do I do that? And how do they take me seriously? And a little bit later in the movie, we get the introduction of Peter Vincent, played by, you know, one of the great character actors, Roddy McDowell, who is a guy who I love growing up because I was a big uh, Planet of the Apes fan. And he plays Cornelius in, in uh, Caesar. Is it bad to say that when I see him, I see the I see his, his see ape face dude sometimes? <laughs> well, he's so com- he's so expressive with his eyes. And then you see that in the movie. So I, I, I don't think it's a bad thing. <laughs> but I mean... But I mean, I think it's just because he's such a kind of, he's almost kind of like a silent actor in that way because you read his face very clearly. And that what he brings into this character of Peter Vincent, it's like kind of a vulnerability of, of, a, of a guy who is a, a washed up B movie actor. And now he's the host of a late night horror show. And now he gets the chance to either help this kid. Or run from it. I mean, at one point in the movie, he wants to run, you know. He's a coward, a little, you know, it kind of begins as a coward. And then he has to later on see if he could have the courage to take on this vampire, which I think is a great arc for this this character. Well, it's like the old school, the reluctant hero type of deal. It's like greatness is thrust upon you. I got to tell you, I love his part. I love the way he does his. I, the best thing about this might be the writing. There's no huge monologues or very unrealistic banter type of deal you know Mm -hmm. what i mean so it flows great i mean even uh charlie's lines the main kid it's nothing that you wouldn't see come from a young person like a high school kid it's nothing it's like that's not what you would say that's not what you would you know what i mean it's kind of like there's a scene where him and amanda beers who plays amy the love interest Mm -hmm. where they were just starting to make out that's when he notices something going on and he's like looking across and she's talking to him and he's ignoring her but he's ignoring her the way you would you know you you, you know what I mean? you're kind of like uh-huh yeah charlie i'm ready amy you're not gonna believe this there are two guys out in the yard and i think they're carrying a coffin we have pledged ourselves to evil sure and they're on the moors right amy i'm serious so am i do you want to make love or not? Amy, quick, come here. You gotta see this. Amy! Uh-huh. And then all of a sudden he turns around and she's gone. So it's like, yeah, I've done that a hundred times. You know, it's just, and I, I think that's got a lot to do with the writing, but his acting's pretty good because he's not overacting and he's not underacting. He's basically acting exactly like somebody his age would. So I don't know if it's because he might have been that age around that time where he just embraced, instead of trying to, I guess, it seemed like instead of trying to explore the role and find out how the character would be, maybe he just said, hey, look, what would I do if I found out my neighbor was a vampire? And then just go. And then he said the lines they wrote, but he said them like he would have said them. You know what I mean? Yeah, I think think he brings uh, a genuine kind of innocence to it. yeah, I mean, I, I do feel like the, the most of the cast, or most of the young cast, rather, they feel like they're coming from a different 
era. You know, it feels like this this movie really feels like kind of a throwback to the 50s and 60s monster movies, universal monster movies. People have said that this is this feels very much like an 80s horror movie. I aside from like maybe some kind of uh, aside from some kind of music, you know, there's a club scene with some 80s music, maybe some other scenes, too, that reminds you that, yes, this is very much in the 80s. But it really feels like kind of like a modern day take of a old 50s, 60s monster movie. Yeah, there's no real real time frame stamp on it except yeah. for that club scene because even you got the clothes going on and stuff like that. But other than that, it's, it's yeah, a, it could it, it could be it could even I could even say that it could be even more modern. You know what I mean? Like it could be yesterday. It could be from the 40s, 50s. You know what I mean? It, and it, yeah, and it feels like it's it, it maybe was playing into some kind of that Leave It to Beaver type of aesthetic. You know, because they they live like across the street and it, it really feels like a suburban household neighborhood. You know, and uh, there's nothing in it that screams 80s. Yeah, it doesn't date itself. Especially some of the movies that came out at that time, some of the other vampire movies that came out at that time. Let's talk about, you know, before we go further into the the Fright Night movie, let's talk about some of the what what the vampire genre was doing at, in the 80s. Because I really believe that it was, it was in a transitional phase where they were taking the vampire idea either serious and either – I think they were trying to de-glamorize the high concept of vampire or the Dracula myth. Because if you look at something like, say, Lost Boys, which is, you know, you know, when they think of 80s vampire movies, they think of Lost Boys or Fright Night. Those are the two prominent vampire movies there. But there's been, a you know, others like Near Dark and... Yeah, there's a ton of them. There's Yeah, there's a ton of them. I think you're right, though. I think what it, it did, it came where it's no longer the the Nosferatu guy in a castle or it's it's everyday people, neighbors. They modernized it, basically. Not just that it's now it's more marketable. It's like more realistic. You didn't have to be on a trip in Europe to run across these guys. You know what I mean? <laughs> you just had to be looking out your window. Yeah. I mean, I think uh, just, you know, speaking as someone who grew up in the 80s and the idea of Dracula, I guess, was because of the commercialization of that that character, that that image, the Bela Lugosi image was everywhere. And I think my first kind of uh, introduction to Dracula was probably uh, – the Halloween costume, you know, speaking as someone who didn't come from a lot of wealth, you, you go to like the drugstore and you get either the, the Wolfman costume, the mummy costume or the Dracula costumes. And you're just talking about the plastic with the rubber band. <laughs> yeah. 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 So yeah. I think, so when I think of Dracula, I think of that kind of that image, which, which you see in the, that same image in, let's say the monster squad, which also came around the same time. And so, you know, it's that kind of universal monster movie kind of thing. So well, the it, only exception on that Monster Squad is I think they were supposed to be the classics. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. 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 So that, I was reminded of the Count Dracula in, in the Sesame Street <laughs> uh, series. <laughs> yeah, I was like, and the serial Count Dracula. Uh, yeah. You know, yeah, the serial too. Yeah. So I think it was a little bit of a joke or it was a little bit too commercialized at the time. Yeah. You, yeah you're right. It, it, it was corny. Almost. Yeah, it was very corny. It was very jokey. It's very kind of like it's on a cereal box or it's on a costume or it's like on your kids programming. <laughs> it wasn't scary. And I think what happened what happened here and what's what's what what Friday night's trying to do is trying to make it more scary, trying to make it a little more sexy. And it, I think it succeeds in that way. I think, you know, Jerry Dandridge, who, who played by the great Chris Sarandon, who is doing a he's basically Dracula. And he's a, like he's a swinging single dude, you know. He's a bachelor. He's having women come every night in his house, and he's seducing them. He's like them. the Billy D. Williams of 
Yeah, I mean, vampire. yeah. So he's he's playing into that sexiness of the of that kind of vampire idea. And there was a movie that came out in the late seventies. It was Dracula, a kind of retelling of Dracula with Frank Langetta. Now it is you, my best beloved one. You will be flesh of my flesh, blood of my blood. You shall cross land or sea to do my bidding. I need your blood. I need. It was also a uh, revival of the Broadway play too. The thing he brought into this iteration of Dracula was the kind of the sexiness, and I think what Christopher Randon was doing is kind of playing the same thing, and I think that's what makes it contemporary. Yeah, because I mean. Like, put it this way, after, in the 80s, you'll never hear, you know, I want to suck your blood. <laughs> you know what I mean? That's gone. But I, I think they were smart. They played to, it's kind of like, if we could, if we could just overpower you anyway, what fun would it be? So they tapped into the more seductive side of it. Yeah. Because you have, like, st- like people started writing books. They started going for the romance side of it. The, I guess, what would you call it? The, um, like, what do they do? They drink your blood, but how do they do it? It's... It's almost a sensual thing. It's like some people, maybe they're in a biting, whatever. You know what I mean? But it's kind of like the act itself is pretty close to, I wouldn't say foreplay, but it's, you know, it's it's very close. It's not like a werewolf. Yeah, it's very intimate. Yeah. 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 It's not like a werewolf who rips you to shreds and then like eats through the parts. Mm-hmm. When you look at it from the aspect that they started selling in the 80s, it's kind of like I can just keep feeding off of you type of deal. Or, you know, what I mean? it's like I'll make your last moments kind of. A euphoric that way you're not fighting back i don't mm-hmm. know if it's like a making a mess thing or it's kind of like it's not so bad <laughs> yeah the victim has to submit to the to to the vampire and th- yeah they're playing they're definitely playing up that idea in, the, in this movie and i think that's why you, you in the 90s you get like uh the Anne rice type of uh, books and i think it pl- that further kind of uh expands that idea and then eventually you know it goes off the rails with the Twilight films and the books because yeah. then that becomes, I, that's not, I wouldn't even consider that horror. It's just kind of just no. straight out rom- romantic dramas or storylines. Like teen, yeah. teen drama. Yeah. So Cause imagine if you're going to, if you're going to live forever, you'd get better at it. <laughs> you'd enjoy it a little more. <laughs> you know, you wouldn't just hide around and like in a coffin all day and then jump out and grab the first person you can. I mean, I'm just saying, if the lore is correct. It's funny, because when I was a kid, it's not that I wasn't popular. I don't want to give that. <laughs> I don't want to give that right off the bat, but I used to go, and I would get every book in the library, which is werewolves, warlocks. You know, uh, you know what I mean? And Or no, vampires, witches, and werewolves. And I remember they had, like, a couple different ones, but I'd pull them all. Or, sorry, I'd read them all. I'd read them. And I always used to remember, my favorite were werewolves, but they were very easy. Mm. It's like there was a couple ways to become one type of deal, like through the lore. Mm-hmm. Like uh, you get bit by one. There's also one that says like you could get a like a wolf skin. You could wear it around your waist, say some incantation, and you got to lay in like a puddle that a wolf drink out of. There's weird kind of stuff like that. But then when you go to the vampire thing, all the things on vampires were how to save yourself from them. Nobody mm-hmm. wanted to be like there was never they never did the whole how to become one. It was just one thing you got bit. But there was all these this weird folklore. It's kind of like, like you notice, uh, very chalant about the apple, yes. with uh, Chris yeah. Rennan. Yeah. yeah, there's all the lore about them eating apples. It's kind of like a thing for their teeth. Mm-hmm. But 
there's a thing that says like when you like the folklore went back to when they had re dig up a body that was dead and they had noticed that the nails kept growing it's like very basic uh biology that people didn't know mm -hmm. but there was a folklore that said uh, a vampire like so if somebody was thought that they were a vampire when they were buried you would take a rope a real long rope and you would tie knots in it because there was the old lore was a a vampire couldn't see a knot without untying it oh, like yeah, it was yeah. a thing yeah. yeah and so you'd get it long enough where when they came out of their grave they'd spend all night untying it and by the time they were done they'd have to go back underground because the sun was coming up you know what i mean it was kind of like it was basic things to show why like how to stop yourself but also like ways to prove how come no one's seen it either <laughs> because people are doing all these things to keep them at bay you know what i mean but i remember um like looking at all that stuff and then i was thinking okay so there's all these kind of like rules and folklore and then we've gone all the way to like sparkling in the you know, <laughs> sparkling in the daylight and they they can almost fly you know what i mean and it's just like ah oh, like really <laughs> Like, from what it started to what it became was just, it, it's almost more than fantastic. It's, you know what I mean? It's like, I don't know. It's, it's if you ask me, it's, it's jumped from the original to, ho like, not just to Hollywood, to or the version right now is the biggest in any kind of creature or um, supernatural being, yeah. like werewolf, vampire, zombie. It's, it's gone the craziest, but um, I just... I think that they're taking advantage of the, well, the seductive side, I guess you call it, mm -hmm. but not just for, for a woman that wants to be seduced, maybe a dude that almost wants to be empowered type of deal. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Cause if you notice most classic vampire movies, there's a scene where they're giving someone a choice and whether or not it's really a choice, it's in them, it's in uh, interview. You know what I mean? It's in all four of the Fright Night franchise movies it's <laughs> like that's just what they do because it's at, at one point they want you to say hey it's not that bad <laughs> you know what I mean? it's kind of like eh, live forever be young super strong can't that almost almost can't die get all the chicks you want get all the dudes you want <laughs> it, it, it's a it's a long list of pros you know uh no sunlight eh. a couple cons <laughs> but then there's even like Dude, I'm a Vampire Diaries guy. I watched it when it first came out to, with my wife, and then I watched the whole series. Whatever. So they even solved that. They got these rings that they can walk around in the day. So I'm saying, if you push the storyteller hard enough, he can even make ways for vampires to walk around during the day. So it's almost like you can you can do so much with them because so much has already been done. You know what I mean? Yeah, it's interesting. It's interesting because like this, I, I would say that the the seduction of vamp, the idea of vampirism, is the idea of like living long or being mortal or immortal rather, and I think in the 80s, though, I think they were, were trying to say something different. Take it, for instance, uh, Near Dark, which, you know, one of the great classics, uh, Catherine Brigelow's cult film from, I guess, 1987. And, you know, the vampires in that film are horrible. <laughs> They're like, they, they feel torturous. They kind of, they, they are kind of a gang of dirty vagrants. And it's not, it's not like, you know, it's the life of a vampire is not glamorous. And I think even in this movie, Friday, I think they were trying to de-glamorize some of that stuff too. I, I think Jerry, although he is a, a, a bachelor, he's still kind of stuck in the suburbs. <laughs> you know, he's kind of still stuck in in this little town in California. 
like like he's not in a castle. He's not like he's kind of stuck in like kind of this uh, isolated world. And I think that that was what the '80s vampire movies were trying to say. You know, you, no, I was gonna say you you hit on something perfect in Near Dark. Love Near Dark. Yeah, me too. Uh, love that. Movie. Great Bill Paxton. R.I.P. Man, I love that guy. But yes. that movie, I, what I liked is that movie kind of embodied the transition. You had um, Lance Hendrickson, Bill Paxton, and Odd, the chick that played. Um, she's in all Cameron's movies. Um, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. She played uh, the Vasquez. Yeah, Vasquez. Vasquez and the the mom in Judgment Day Two, or Terminator Two. She played the stepmom or yeah, the yeah. So you had those. Those are the old school vampires, kind of. If you think about it, in Near Dark, that it's just all about the destruction and the the carnage. Then you had that girl who turns the the main guy, and it's she's not like that. It's kind of like within that movie, they're transitioning from the old school vampire to the kind of new we can disappear into like the modern world yeah, yeah and be yeah. among them oh, like yeah, we yeah. watch how we do things you yeah, know what yeah. i mean yeah yeah because they even make reference <laughs> bill paxton makes reference in near dark to starting the chicago fire <laughs> you know <what> I mean? <laughs> so talking about destruction so it's like all fun and games and destroying and let's let's party hard to hey we can blend we can we can almost live a normal life and kind of still have almost like the curse if you want to call it the curse but isn't that weird too? They refer to like all the werewolf movies call it a curse, but nobody ever really calls vampirism a curse, right? Yeah, I guess so. I mean, I guess it's just implied. I mean, it's implied that because of you live so many years, it becomes tiresome. And because uh, I was a big, <laughs> you were a big vampire diaries fan. I was a big Buffy the Vampire, but Buffy the Vampire Slayer fan, and so. All that is really is about kind of like the torturous idea of living so many years and the 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 cycle of life like that, the cycle of becoming innocent and 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 uh, trying to expel the, the the horrible aspects of vampirism, and then ultimately succumbing to it, and it's a, it like it comes in cycles, you know. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I, you know, with this movie, I think you know to go to go back to Fright Night. I think with this movie, it, it's I think you're 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 correct by saying that Jerry, you know, the 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 Chris Sarandon's character, he is trying to blend in with the rest of the world. You know, he wants like even like he doesn't really want to kill Charlie. He even says to him, "Hey, I'll give you a, a deal. Just forget about me, and I'll let you live." Do you realize how much trouble you've caused me? Spying on me, almost disturbing my sleep this afternoon, telling policemen about me! You deserve to die, boy. Of course. I could give you something I don't have. A choice. Forget about me, Charlie. Forget about me, and I'll forget about you. What do you say, Charlie? And, you know, Charlie can't do that. So he goes, well, then I guess I got to kill this kid. Well, he actually, if you ask me, he gives him two chances. He physically tells him. And then when everybody comes over and he passed a test, he was going to kind of leave it at that too. And Charlie kept pushing it. So he had like two chances. And dude, I'm telling you, (laughs) this was the only movie that every time I watch it, I was like, you know what? I might take that deal. Yeah, me too. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, why not, man? 
I mean, like, like I don't know. It's such an interesting idea of like, if you knew something about your next next door neighbor, would you do something about that? And it doesn't have to even be about a vampire. It could be just about whatever. Yes. Well, uh, what's that called? Uh, suburbia. Perfect example. Yeah. Yeah. Louis Charlebot. It's literally the same story. Just take him out and put a crazy guy instead of a vampire. Yeah, and it's like, am I able to live with myself knowing like my next door neighbor is either going crazy or you know is doing something horrible? Do I, between me dying and that <laughs> I'm, I'm okay with it <laughs> yeah. but I, I think you really you hit something about the, the what this movie is trying to say and other movies of other vampire movies try to say this this in this decade that vampires are trying to blend in as as much as possible because I think that's the th- that's the common thread that, that holds that together and then you know in the 90s we get the reemergence of that kind of romantic notion of vampireism with the Anne Rice movies, which I, you know, I loved the interview with a vampire, Tom Cruise and Brad Pitt. They were awesome in that movie. So oh, I, great. But you know, I'm oh, sorry. I was going to say about the eighties real quick with the near dark and even lost boys and all that. They, they went younger. You know what I mean? Everybody was old when they ran into a vampire. These are kids almost like, good I don't know if it's the whole, no one's going to believe them aspect or trying to get the younger generation excited about it. You know? That's a good point. That's a good point. Like Lost Boys, let's really quickly talk about Lost Boys because I think that's... we could do seven episodes of Lost Boys. <laughs> so I, it, it's all about kind of they're a bunch of young biker kids. You don't even know if they're vampires. They could be just biker kids who live from yeah. you know the other side of the tracks. You know, I Lost Boys is also remembered as one of the great kind of eighties vampire movies. And with Night uh, with Friday Night, I think you got a different aspect to it too because I think Friday Night kind of leans into the more of the typical monster movie type of aspects to uh, the Dracula thing where Lost Boys is just pure vampires. There's no Dracula ideas in Lost Boys. It's just kind of like, these are vampires. Yeah. They're like terrorizing an entire city, (laughs) but that's how we used to get you to drink back in the day. Michael, Michael, Michael. Michael, Michael. Don't. You don't have to. Michael. 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 It's blood. Yeah, sure. Well, yeah, no, I'm, no, I totally get it. It's, it's. I mean, except for the parents or the the kids' mom, uh, mom, and the guy that owns a video store. There's not one person supposed to be over like 25 in that movie. Yeah, and the grandpa. Well, I think you know you you brought up with the mother because in Lost Boys, it's Diana Weiss. Who's great in that movie? I, I love Diana Weiss. And this movie, it's another mother. I'm not sure who was the actress, but in Fright Night, they're kind of almost the same because they're all they're single mothers. They're both single mothers. They're trying to raise their kids. In Diana, Diana Weiss has two boys, and in Fright Night, the mother is trying to raise Charlie. And so I think that's also an aspect of '80s movies because I do remember a lot of movies about single mothers. And I guess maybe because of the maybe the explosion of the the divorce rate in in the eighties, it was very high. I come from a divorce you know background, and a lot of my friends did too. And oh, yeah, you you well, know my mom had an old man, but that wasn't the one she started with. Yeah, this is very very relatable to us because we you know we had we we gone through some of this divorce stuff. So I, yeah, I found that very interesting too that that they're dealing with kind of um, divorced parents, broken homes, yeah. Kind of, yeah. That, that, you know, younger kids are attracted to vampirism because they come from broken homes or something. Yeah, so there's, like, the, the crack in the family unit, and it's kind of like the virus that gets in, you know. Yeah. Kind of seeps into there, and, like, hey, the, we're, look how 
good it would be, like how powerful you could be. Like right now, your life's not that your life sucks, but it's like you're missing something. This is how you're gonna fill it, you know, with this power. When even when you look at Ed, who he calls evil, evil, yeah, that's how he eventually gets him. Like at the end, it's like, dude, like nobody likes you. You're a misfit. Everyone, yeah, yeah. everyone's making fun of you, you know. But you could, I, I, we're we're the same because we're kind of outcasts of society or something like that. Yeah, it's like it, to empower the powerless is like it's a it's a huge aphrodisiac. You know what I mean? It's like <laughs> I'm offering you something no one else can on this earth. Hello, Edward. <laughs> you don't have to be afraid of me. I know what it's like being different. Only they won't pick on you anymore or beat you up. I'll see to that. All you have to do is take my hand. What was that? It was just evil messing around again. Cut it out, evil! It's not funny! Yeah, one of my favorite scenes in, in Fright Night is the first encounter with Jerry, and, b- between Jerry and, and Charlie. You know, this is the first time they're really kind of seen face to face. And and Jerry has been invited in Charlie's home. And really the subtext of that scene is like, he's saying to Charlie, he goes, I know you know that I'm a vampire and I know that your mother don't believe you. I'm going to like, I think I'm going to have sex with your mother because I, I, that's how much power I have over the yeah, scene. Because I can't. <laughs> yeah, because I can't. Yeah, exactly. And so it's like, it becomes more like I'm, I need to protect my mother from this, this, this asshole character more than, you know, than anything else. And then, you know, eventually it becomes like, oh, no, no, this guy's a psychopath too. You know, he's going to kill all of us. Hello, Charlie. Well, Charlie, don't be rude. Check hands. What's he doing here? I invited him over for a drink. What? I invited him over. Why? What's the matter, Charlie? Afraid I'd never come over without being invited first? <laughs> <laughs> You're right. You're quite right. Of course, uh, now that I've been made welcome, I'll probably drop by quite a bit. In fact, anytime I feel like it. With your mother's kind permission, of course. Oh, Jerry. Anytime. <laughs> so nice that someone interesting has finally moved into the neighborhood. Charlie, are you all right? Yeah, Mom, I'm fine. I just got to get back to my trig, that's all. Nice to meet you, Charlie. See ya. Soon. Well, I like that opening, the intro to that scene where he comes in all panicky and he starts to talk, but surrounded in the chair where you can't see him. Yeah, yeah. yeah. He like waits, you know, the, the hand comes onto the armrest and then he flips his head around and it's like, God damn it, he's already in the house, you know what I mean? <laughs> I like that. But no, you're right. And then he basically is like, hey, you wouldn't do it to save your own life. You know, look the other way. But maybe now that, you know, your family's in danger. Oh, yeah. Good point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a great scene because... doesn't get the hint. (laughs) It's a great scene because, you know, the way Chris Sarandon plays it, he is so cocky. And he doesn't have to be aggressive. You know, he's not really aggressive at all. He's just like, hey, kid. Up to this point, has he been a bad guy in any movie? You know what I mean? He's not that kind of guy. Yeah, well, let's talk about Chris Sarandon a little bit. I think it was a kind of a, you know, I guess I never really appreciated his performance before when I was growing up. I, you know, I, I hate to say this, uh, I was not, not, not that I was a, not a big fan of Chris Sarandon because I was. I mean, his work as Prince Humperdinck in The Prince's Bride was fantastic. And he's like, he was a bad guy there. And that came after Fright Night. But yeah. 
But I think before this, he was really kind of a character actor. I don't, you know, I, I don't don't want to demean him, but I always thought that he was a strange looking guy, you know. And so, so for him to play like kind of this cocky bachelor son of a bitch type of character, I go, fuck, this guy is really, really good because he, he is charismatic. There is a, uh, a tr- you know, a cockiness to this, and he is you know, really playing up that, you know, that sex appeal type of thing in the in the movie. But beforehand, I just I thought that you know that was just an odd casting choice for him. Yeah, but I, I know what you're saying it. Uh, I'm not as shallow as you, so it's not the looks. <laughs> no, he was just never in anything that was interesting to me. Yeah, like I know him from my mom like watching stuff with him in there, so I knew who he was. But well, he was for, nominated for an, an Oscar award for Dog Day Afternoon. Dog Day Afternoon. Yeah. So he was great in that movie where he, you know, people might not re- remember this, but Al Pacino was actually. A bank robber, and he was robbing the bank because he needed to pay for his boyfriend's uh, sex change operation. And 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 Chris Sarandon was the boyfriend, and he was great. You know, that's. But I think to go from that and become this vampire, this kind of evil vampire, where he needs to tap into his, you know, the the sexuality of the character, I thought was an odd choice, and I never really appreciated it until recently when I rewatched the movie. I go, oh yeah, yeah, this guy is very good because I, I only saw him as maybe. The vampire part of it. I mean, I knew he was great as the vampire when he eventually has like the prosthetic makeup on. I go, yeah, he's great as that. But see him doing this, he reminded me, particularly in that club scene, the nightclub scene where he's seducing Amanda Burr's Spears. uh, He reminded me of of like Michael Douglas and Basic Instinct. You know, there's a similar club scene in that movie. Yeah, you know what the lighting and everything. Yeah. So I think the, there was kind of there's a there's a correlation between those two performances, and they're both kind of charismatic. And I can't you know you kind of see a, a Michael Douglas type of character here, you know, or D- Michael Douglas could have played this character, you know. Uh, but yeah, he's great, Chris Sarandon. He, he's great in this movie. It's so funny because when <laughs> it's, yeah you still talked about him with the full makeup on, I swear right at the end. I expected him when he was like saying one of his lines at the end, like with the full vampire. I expected him to yawn. Like, <laughs> Princess Bride, dude. <laughs> I don't know if it's because the makeup made him look like he had the big helmet hair, like he did on Princess Bride. But I did. I expect now, like on the like on the rewatch on this one, like I like you said, stood up very well. Yeah, yeah. Like yeah, because I don't know if people know we we don't just we try not to watch these based on a twenty year remember memory of the movie. No, we always we do a rewatch the last couple days. Yeah, we do a rewatch. We always do a rewatch. Yeah, yeah. yeah I, I think Our memories aren't that good. <laughs> Chris Sarandon. I, but I believe like the rewatch re- made me really appreciate Chris Sarandon, and I always, always appreciate uh, Roddy McDowell's performance in this because, like I was saying, he does has has this qualities of a silent actor, and he's very expressive, and he's he brings a gravitas to this role because he's you know he's from old Hollywood. He knows, you know, he he started opposite Elizabeth Taylor. You know, he he's been in, in movies, big movies in the in the heyday of Hollywood. And now he's doing this kind of, you know, essentially it's a B movie. They didn't know that this was gonna be a big hit, but it did yeah. it, it became a really huge hit. And uh but yeah, he's he's great. <laughs> he's fantastic as Peter Vincent. And I love the fact that he's also a you know host of a, a horror late night horror series. Yeah, and and he 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 adds the old school folklore with yes. the tests. And, yeah. You know what I mean. So he was the link to the past, or else it's kind of like he just says he's a vampire, and there's nobody. Uh, there's going to be nobody over 
18 that believes him. Yeah. At least it's somebody to bring the two, I guess you would call them the two, not the genres, the two types of vampire movies together. The old oh, yeah. castle and yeah, yeah. like, you know, Ben Helsing. Yeah, definitely. I, th- I believe his character, Peter Vincent, from my, what I've read, the, the name comes from Peter Cushing and Vincent Price. That's how they got the, the name Peter oh, Vincent. Oh, nice. That makes and, sense. And they wanted Vincent Price for the for the role. Vincent Price was didn't want to do it, and so they went to Roddy McDowell. Yeah, he. I think the character itself it's it's very much a modern day take on Van Helsing. Although in this case, he is like a washed up B movie actor, which is great. And I love the idea that they bring in this late night horror movies, which is a, was a big deal in the eighties. Yeah, Elvira. Uh, yeah, I was a huge fan of Elvira. We know why. Huge <laughs> <man>. <laughs> yeah. Yes, no, I mean, she was hilarious too, man. Remember we saw her Comic Con? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It weirded me out, dude, to see her with red hair. I didn't like it, man. She was just like a normal person. Yeah. The the thing about Elvira, she had she that was a great character. I mean, she's she's doing like a valley girl kind of persona, but she's also this vampirist character too. Oh yeah, the way she's oblivious to like when the, the wolfman comes on her and she just like kicks him in the nard. You know what I mean? It's like I love that whole aspect of it. Like the zombie that puts his arm on her and he, she just rips it off and throws it like nothing. <laughs> yeah. Uh, hilarious. Un- underrated comedian, for sure. Oh, yeah. Dude, even her movie was good, remember? Yeah. The Wire Mistress of the Dark? Yeah. I love that flick. It was funny. It was great. It's cult comedy. But like there were other ones like Cable, Late Night Cable, they had some like Up All Night. You know, rest in peace, uh, Gilbert Godfrey used to host a Up All Night show, which was oh, like, yeah. was mostly just trashy films, uh, not necessarily horror movies. but And they would jump around in them, too, sometimes. Yeah. Who was the girl that he co-host with? Rhonda? Rhonda Shear? Yeah. I think she took over, yeah. It was Up All Night with Rhonda Shear, and then he came on. So that's what I liked about, you know, Friday Night. They were kind of tapping into these uh, horror hosts. And unfortunately, because of the the era of streaming, we kind of lost that kind of idea of hosting a late night show of horror movies. I kind of miss those days where, you know, you could flip on a late night sh- show and have someone host it for the night. And, and you know, sometimes they would do like famous uh, filmmakers. I remember like during during Halloween, Tim, the, the the great director, Tim Burton, uh, hosted a some of his favorite horror movies, uh, monster movies from the 50s and 60s. You know, you would have like these guest hosts for a week or so. And it was great. I and I and kind of, because of the, the birth of streaming, we, those days are just gone. Uh, there's no need for. Yeah. You're your own of, host. Yeah. It's, it's, you, it's all up to you. And I, maybe that's why we're kind of losing a <laughs> kind of. Uh, uh, Creativity. Yeah. Or the, 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 the personalities. We're, we're just we're losing it all, man. <laughs> we're focused. It's more focused on kind of like algorithms, which is so artificial, you know, but let's get back. To, let's get back to Fright Night. Uh, what was your feelings about uh, Roddy McDowell as Peter Vincent? Like I said, I like that he brought the old school into the new school, but um, I, I loved his comical take at it almost kind of like a, he's trying to, Make Charlie feel better, but not put too much effort into it. And like, I got other things. Like, the funniest part is when it's like, I got other things to do, kid. And he really doesn't. <laughs> they show when he goes back to his apartment yeah. or whatever. Yeah. He's got nothing to do. You know, it's, it's, <laughs> it's very sad. It's a sad state yeah. of affairs. But he just knows he doesn't want to do that. It's like, and you'd almost expect that he would be so far into Charlie because, like, there wasn't a line of people waiting to see him. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's like, if, if his days of fame and were like numbered it's he's on the last couple numbers yeah he's he's really good i mean he's he's what we needed in the role i think if it was um 
But it's a price. It would have been a lot different feel, you know? Yeah, it would have been more serious or macabre. Yeah, I think Roddy McDowell does play into the campiness of the character very well without going to cartoonish levels. It's just it's just part of the character. Glad they went with Roddy. Yeah, very good. You were mentioning the first encounter with Charlie and uh, Peter Vincent. And um, Charlie goes to Peter Vincent for, for uh, essentially for help because he needs someone. He's an expert. Peter Vincent is a vampire expert, and he needs someone with the knowledge to kill a vampire. And at that moment, he, Peter Vincent learns that he'd just been fired from his job. And he talks to Charlie, and Charlie says, I'm a vampire fan. I'm a, one of your biggest fans. And he goes, oh, thank you. Ronnie McDowell does this really great part where he, he says, like, I just wish more kids were like you. Unfortunately, none of your generation seems to be. What do you mean? I have just been fired because nobody wants to see vampire killers anymore or vampires either. Apparently, all they want are demented madmen running around in ski masks, hacking up young virgins. Now, if you would excuse me. I believe in vampires. That's nice. If only there'd been a few more of you, perhaps my ratings would have been higher. You know, because they were used taking a, a dig at, at, you know, Halloween and Jason and, and yeah, stuff like that. <laughs> the new. The new wave of horror movies. The new monsters, yeah. And then this movie is really kind of about how older monsters are not hip anymore. You know, so I kind of like that whole aspect of that little encounter. And so, and I, like you were saying, I think he there, there's, there's a cowardness to the character that, and I just I just love that you know you set up this really great character where he is doesn't believe like the the fictional character that he plays is a much more courageous character and now he just has to live up to that 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 expectation and it kind of reminds me of something like Three Amigos you know like okay. it's like the same kind of concept you know the, you got these guys who get you know the in the Three Amigos you get these kind of movie stars. But the the village in in Mexico or whatever was it Mexico? I can't remember. Uh, Santa Poco, yeah. So so this we little yeah this little village, and and they think it's a they're real heroes, you know, real real gunslingers. But it and, gives you the the what would you say the when you're naive, but of the two character like of Charlie for not understanding. Dude, he's an actor. What makes you think oh. that if he was a real vampire hunter, yeah. now he does cheesy movie, like intros cheesy movies, like if he was legit, you know what I mean? Right, right, right. Like, he should, like he should, that's... He should know better a little bit, yeah. Exactly. Just <laughs> like this. Just like the people of Santa Poco should have known. But it, it's like, so is is that an homage, like, is that saying that that's how young Charlie is or the fact that, hey, there weren't supposed to be vampires anyway. So maybe if there is vampires, there's vampire hunters. You know what I mean? I guess I think it just says that he needs some expertise, and he's the closest person that that he could get his hands on. And I think he doesn't really think about it too clearly because if he did, he probably would say, "Well, yeah, this guy's an actor. Why should he know?" But because he's grew up on on this guy's movies, he probably thinks that he must know something, even though it's you know he's playing these fictional characters. And I think with with like something like Three Amigos when they're because they're you know they're also cowards too. I mean, when they realize that they're they've been hired to really you know protect this village from uh, this evil uh, bandits, that they kind of want to walk out. But then there's a moment where they kind of like live up to to the expectations of what their fictional characters did in the, in those films. And I just love that as a trope or as a kind of story idea because you also see that in something like Galaxy Quest, which is almost the same thing, right? I mean, it's the same kind of concept where. 
these are real actors. But then because people believe in them, they kind of believe in themselves. And I think that's what you get with Peter Vincent because it's it's a it, because Charlie believes in him so much, he has to step up. And I that's what makes this particular movie in the third act really great, you know, really fun. And that plays in the whole classic, okay. Other people are believing in you. It's time for you to believe in yourself. Yeah, you know what I mean? it's a it's a it's a great idea. It's a great concept. It's fun to watch that. You know, it's fun to watch that those characters kind of realize that yeah, I could do this stuff, even though I didn't want to at first. <laughs> yeah. What are you doing? I'm leaving. You can't. Just watch. But Dandridge has Amy. He says he's going to kill her unless we come to his house. Oh my God. The police. I I'll call the police. No, Peter, no! They won't believe you. I've tried. Peter, it's just us. We're going to have to save Amy. I can't. I was paid to be there today. I know. And you still want me to help you? Yes. You're Peter Vincent, the great vampire killer. That is a character in a movie. And I think because the movie leans into like the the horror fandom, you know, because Charlie is just a huge fan of horror movies. Even his best friend Evil is a fan of horror movies, and you got you know Peter Vincent, who is the host of this horror show. I think that's why Fright Night has kind of lived on. I think it might have died off in the nineties, but really gained in the last twenty years or so in popularity because it kind of plays into the whole horror fandom of of the the horror horror fandom of of what why people love these type of movies you know exactly this the the especially the the style of the 80s but you mentioned evil dude i love this kid <laughs> i remember watching this in the movie theater and i don't know why he just i knew a bunch of kids like this dude that almost really? like before add was a thing because uh -huh. when you watch him in the movie he's kind of all over the wall he's almost twitchy you heard on the police band last night that wasn't the only murder the second in two days Get this, both of them had their heads chopped off. <laughs> Can you believe it? You're sick. <laughs> Charlie? <laughs> oh, you're so cool, Brewster. <laughs> I can't stand it. <laughs> Dude, the only reason why I stopped saying you're so cool, Brewster, was because I started having to explain it to people. And then I'm like, you know, I gotta take this, I gotta take that off the shelf. When did when but, when when did that happen? Like, when did like Bright Night like start losing its grip on the culture? Like, what year? It had it? to be beginning of the '90s. Yeah. As far as like just some dude next to me knowing it, or yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, I can always do it with my brother, but then it's kind of like if I just say it out loud, somebody would know it, and now nobody's gonna know it. But I remember, um, I remember watching a double feature and i want to say it was pet cemetery and 976 evil and <laughs> that's where this guy it's uh, stephen Stephen goffrey's yeah he played that they gave him his own little movie and it's funny because 976 evil i always counted that into because his nickname was evil mm -hmm. but i don't think they were allowed to use that but yeah i mean i remember watching that movie and i think they made a sequel to that one but i just liked his role i like the fact that he he was the one that he took the deal you know what i mean he took the deal to be changed and like work for him. Uh, he's the one that he kind of turns into the like a wolf, I guess. I'm not particularly a werewolf. He was like a full on transformed wolf. Mm -hmm. 
and then when he kind of gets it at the end, I like I really like that special effect when he was halfway between a person and a wolf, where it's like they elongated the body and it was like yeah he was like sitting there twitching and it like drug itself out of the frame. Man, that was really well. That was the the closest thing in that in this actual movie when I was a kid to being scary. <laughs> Everything else was cool and stuff. That was the part that got me like wow. Well, that's like scary, scary. Well, to speak about some of the special effects, because I think the special effects in this movie is very, very good. Especially and, for 85, dude. That was oh, yeah. amazing. And I think Evil, particularly, has probably the best special effects in the movie. With the cross burning in his forehead, <laughs> it's fantastic. It's just a fantastic look. And then also, like you were saying, changing into the, the wolf and then the, the half transition of man and wolf. And I particularly love that scene because it's, it's with... Uh, with Roddy McDowell and as, yeah, just those two, yeah, just those two, and he, it's he stabs him, you know, like they they fall off the the second floor of the of the house, and he he has a uh, a wooden stake or something, and it kind of stabs him into the heart, and then he he doesn't kill him right away. I mean, he he's writhing in pain and he's crying out. Uh, Peter Vincent, the character that that Roddy McDowell plays, he is just it's all in his face if you look in that movie it's all his face he doesn't say a thing he just looks at the creature as it, it dies and he's so sad you know he's cr- yeah, he, he really he, he's, he's, he's you can see he's crying in the, in the scene and i'm like oh that's the first time i really realize or this, that's the first time i really see a horror movie where one of the heroes quote unquote heroes is actually crying because they just killed a creature or or this yeah little, but this, i think he still sees ed, the, the character of ed in there and it's like he didn't want to. He yeah. had to, and I, I, and Ed Ed did make a he he took the choice between death and joining. You yeah. know, so it's not like he had a choice. He was he was kind of screwed the whole way around. And I think he yeah, you could see that he feels horrible. Yeah, I think it's and I think it's brilliant because it's nothing said. It's just all in in, in Roddy, Roddy McDowell's face, and it's a you know really touching scene. Even though it's like in the middle of this horror movie. Dude. Yeah, I don't think a lot of actors could have pulled it off. Oh, like no. you're saying, dude, it's just. And it's weird too because it's it's I don't know how he does that. I don't know how Roddy McDowell does. Like he says, he can. Even, it's not just that he says something with his face. While he says it, he can change what he's saying. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like in this, like just watch his face and he goes from like, like happy to sad. To, you know what I mean? It's like weird because he, you know exactly the emotions he's conveying, and it's not cheesy. Yeah. Like it was like you know show me happy, show me sad, show me mm-hmm. angry. You know it's not nothing like that. But, you know, to go back to, like, some of the special effects, uh, the special effects in this movie was done by a guy named Richard Edlin, who was uh, a big deal. Right before, right before this movie, he did Ghostbusters. He was working on Ghostbusters. And so there's a lot of uh, the same kind of tricks that they use in Ghostbusters that they used in this movie. And so you could see some of, like, kind of the same kind of designs. And and there was also a great story about how Amanda Beers as, as um, Amy – and she's she's you know she's in the white dress she's in that white dress, yeah. And this is the first time she kind of changed into a, to a vampire. They they were shooting the scene, and she kind of uh, makes a, a moment where she turns her back to the camera, and then she comes back and she has a full on prosthetic yeah. makeup on her face with, with the fangs <laughs> and the look, and now that's like the poster of the of the movie that image. And apparently, while shooting that that scene, Tom Holland was like. 
you know what? I that that wasn't really worked out at first. It was just going to be kind of quite simple. But they got into to the weekend, and he goes, you know what? I think we could do a, a scare, a, a jump scare here, where she turns into a, a monster really quick. And so he asked the, the special effects artist, uh, Steve Johnson. He's now famous. You know, he's I think he's the guy who kind of worked on uh, Slimer. And he goes, can you come up with something like for the weekend? Can you come up with something really quick? You know, I want to see fangs. I want to see, you know. And he kind of whipped up this whole makeup in, in, in you know, in a weekend. And it becomes the poster of, of the movie, you know. And it's so funny because you mentioned Amanda Beers, because later on she goes uh, into doing, of course, everybody knows her as Marcy. <laughs> Marcy Darcy. <laughs> Marcy Darcy from uh, Married with Children. But towards the end of that series, she directed most of them. Yeah. Like, yeah. I want to say the last yeah three or four years. And she, she came out as being gay in 93. Yeah, yeah. The whole cast was, like, all behind her. Then all of a sudden she started taking a bigger role in the production, and then she started uh, directing them. But it's it's... Funny because <laughs> when I like I'd watched this movie so many times, and then I watched, uh, you know, all the the whole series of um, Married with Children, and then I rewatched this maybe in the nineties, uh, Fright Night. I totally forgot that that was her. <laughs> because when you see Marcy Darcy, you don't think of the romantic, sexy lead. Yeah, yeah, teenage uh, girl. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> this is so funny because they're like, wow, <laughs> this is the chicken right there, <laughs> chicken legs. Yeah. Quit calling me chicken. Yeah, it's just so funny. But yeah, she did a great job. I mean, it wasn't, uh, not to downplay her, but it wasn't a huge role. You know what I mean? It wasn't. And, no. and the way they made her character, she starts off with, before that dress scene, when she started off with uh, overalls, you know what I mean? So they made her almost <laughs> almost like a little kid yeah. to a sexy. There was, man. you know, they're both, all, all, I think all these characters, all the teenage characters are playing archetypes, you know, uh, Ed is the the nerd outcast. Uh, Charlie is kind of like the preppy, you know, you know, school teen, and yeah, and Amy Amanda Beers' character is kind of like you know innocent next door girl. Uh, that's why I say that it doesn't feel eighties. You know, like like these these the teenager characters in this movie doesn't feel doesn't scream eighties to me. It really feels like they're playing some of these archetypes of fifties and sixties. You know, I think Friday Night holds up because it has, because it's timeless. It feels timeless. It feels more modern than say the the remake because the remake really feels which which came the remake came out in twenty eleven and it feels like it came out in twenty eleven. Um, yeah, but yeah, just let's close Friday Night off. I mean, what's your kind of final words? What's some of your favorite scenes in the movie? Uh, the one where the wolf drags itself. That always scared the shit out of me, dude. I don't know why. <laughs> it just did the way it looked and the way it moved. I'm a sucker for anything I know that can't have a person in, in it. You know what I mean? Moving. Mm -hmm. Like animatronics get me almost every time. Um, the finale, dude, uh, with the the eyes in the dark room across the way. With the, you're so cool, Brewster. <laughs> oh, the very, like, kind of. Oh, uh... so good, man. I love that. That's that's why I always tell people you're so cool, Brewster. <laughs> like, we'll be driving away or it'll be somewhere dark at night. <laughs> oh, you're so cool, Brewster. <laughs> That's my favorite. That part I loved. I loved the part where um, Rodney is trying to get them out of the house, and then he sees the no reflection. Yeah, that's great. He drops the mirror. Yeah, yeah. He was just like frozen. Yeah. Like, oh, 
like the the look of I gotta get out of here. Like I like the panic, the panic and the him hiding the panic still blows me away because it's just like wow. Like that's pretty much how it gets done. How do you shit yourself but then squeeze your cheeks <laughs> and smile and walk out of a room? You know he had to do all that at one time. Oh, I'm, I'm positive. Oh, we have been taking up much too much of your time. Thank you so much. Come along now, everybody. Uh, here you are. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> What's wrong with you? Nothing. And why are you shaking? I, I'm not shaking. You saw something in there, didn't you? You saw something that convinced you he was a vampire. Of course not. Please, Mr. Vincent, you have to tell me. Our lives depend on that. All right. He didn't cast a reflection in my mirror. I, I liked everything in the movie. I dug the whole thing. I still do. Yeah, me too. I think the movie really lives on. It's it's a movie that I, th- I think is very more innocent than, say, Lost Boys, which I think those two movies come up in the same sentence in a lot of times when we talk about 80s vampire movies. But I think this is a little more innocent. It's 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 more kind of a traditional monster movie. And that's what I kind of liked about it. That's why, why the reason I kept watching it throughout the 80s, because like I was saying before in this this podcast, wasn't really a huge slasher guy. You know, I didn't didn't. Didn't watch some of those Jason movies or or, or Halloween sequels, but for, for whatever reason, Friday Night was something that I watched multiple times. And some of my favorite scenes, as I said before, I think uh, you know Roddy McDowell, his reaction to Ed's death as the Wolf Man, the half wolf, half human, that's such such stands out for me. Um, I love the first interaction with with Charlie and, and Jerry when he's is invited into his house and he's like, "Don't mess with me, kid. I'm, I'm gonna mess up your life and stuff like that." It was a gr- it was a great showdown, and it happens like within the first twenty minutes or so. Well, and I like the subtle thing too. Didn't they do with um where he goes to close the door and he pulls it so hard that it like pulls the frame in, like yeah, like the little subtle things like that. I I like it, man. I like it. Yeah, I love it. it was happened a little bit later when it's later in that night. And he just appears, creep like a real creep. He appear, oh, appears. Oh, yeah, because he's in the mom's room. Yeah, he's in the mom's room, and that's how he locks the mom in the mom's room. Yeah. And so he, he's walking out at the mom's room, and if you look close, if you look at the mirror in the background, there's no reflection. I go, yeah. oh, that's awesome. That's awesome. Like the continuity is good. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's all great. I mean, there's a lot of stuff. I, I, you know what? I really that club scene. I really enjoyed the club scene where he's dancing with or he's seducing uh, Amy character. I actually love that song. Whatever that I don't know who sings it. <laughs> that scene also, oh, of course, always reminds me of the first Terminator, where he runs into the or she hides at the club noir. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. On the, yeah, on sunset or whatever. I just remember because <laughs> I'm a big fan of that movie. But yeah, it, that, that that's exactly reminds me of that movie too, man.
Yeah, I love I love that scene. It just it brings a smile to my face when I when I see it. It's it's so it's so. Next funny. time I hear about an '80s club, I'm gonna take you. It'd be awesome. <laughs> just this is really a great kind of fun movie to rewatch, and I hope it hope you know it seems like it's getting a, a new generation of, of fans. It seems like they're 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 reconnecting to the movie or watching it for the first time. So yeah, it's it's definitely the gateway vampire movie into the modern style. From yeah, the castles to the next door to the houses type of deal. I like the way you put a gateway to to modern vampire movies. Yeah, it's great. Uh, let's really talk about you know the sequel now. This is that the Frank- sequel or the remake. Let's start with the sequel because the sequel part two, which we see Charlie in his college years. And so this is the 1988 because, the, like I said before, man, I thought you were talking about the sequel to this <laughs> to the remake too, which is Friday Night Two: New Blood, which I haven't seen, but you actually saw oh, that movie. <laughs> yeah, you're not missing. Okay, but no, this I is, wish I could also have not seen it. <laughs> so this is Friday Night Part Two, and this is apparently this was kind of released not wide. It was kind of a limited release. It, it dude, I have I actually found out the reason. Okay. why what happened to this movie but i don't know did you did do you know anything about it no no like, i just heard, i just heard recently just heard that, that it was kind of a limited release and then it briefly came out on blu-ray or dvd maybe just dvd and so it's hard to actually find maybe it appears in some streaming services and probably that's it but okay, this is what i found yeah okay okay this is what i found okay uh, the release for Fright Night Part 2, it, it was with Columbia, and they changed management. They changed management to New Century Vista. Okay? okay? New Century Vista at the time didn't want anything really to do with it. They kind of got it, and they, they only put it out in 148 screens. And they didn't do any advertising, didn't do nothing. Their thing was that, hey, this is it's kind of like a liquidation movie that they got when Columbia oh, gave it to them. Okay. So it came out on DVD movies. Uh, not DVDs, it, rental. Mm-hmm. Ryder McDowell got very upset. Um, so did uh, the the director for the second one, Tommy Lee Wallace. And then um, the director for the first one, Tommy Holland. They were going to actually, they were they were upset. They felt that they were wronged. So they wanted to meet with the, uh, the head of New Century Vista to pitch him an idea for Fright Night 3. Mm. Okay. So this is, it was really, really recent after the second one uh, was very limited. They were, everybody was mad because they thought it was, it wasn't as bad as they, they thought it would have done so much better if it would have had the, a proper release. So this is, this is what I saw on online. So the three of them, they meet with the, the head guy for New Century Vista for lunch to pitch the idea of a dinner to actually pitch like the official pitch for part three to see if he's open to the pitch. Okay. The guy that they had lunch with Jose Menendez. Oh shit. (laughs) Swear to God. They have lunch with him that night. He and his wife are killed by their two sons. Oh shit. Yep. So before they could even arrange a sit down for like the pitch movie. Yeah. So that that oh was the weirdest thing. Oh shit! Because they said his name, and I'm like, ah, Menendez. That's crazy. But it's Jose, so I'm like, okay, Jose, blah blah. blah. And they're like, so they had lunch. They like, uh, and Roddy McDowell hated him. He called him the worst person he's ever met, <laughs> which sad because <laughs> of what he did to the old film. And then even though they had the lunch, he still was unhappy with the way the lunch went. But he was open 
to having a like a pitch dinner. Mm-hmm. And the night that they had the lunch, that was the night that he got killed. Wow. So Kyle and Lyle, or Kyle and who? Yeah, Lyle and Kyle. Kyle and yeah. yeah. When they killed their parents, that was the dad. And then it was not funny, but they actually it was quoted Roddy McDowell. Like when he found out the next day, he called, I think it was either Tom, I don't know if it was Tom Holland, or the third party that was there, uh, the director from Fright Night 2 or somebody. And he's all, he's, he called him, he said, I just want to let you know, I didn't do it. It's just so messed up, dude. <laughs> it was so messed up. Oh, shit. That's what Roddy McDowell did. I didn't think he had it in him, but he was quoted as saying that to the guy. Wow. You must Isn't have... that crazy? Wow, that's so weird. That must Because be... uh, he, he was a famous Hollywood guy. I knew yeah, that. But I, I didn't know what he did. I knew something about how he was, yeah, he was some kind of businessman in Hollywood or something like that. It was, but I didn't know he kind of ran a uh, production company or whatever. Yeah, that New Century Vista. I've seen that too. That's the that's the side that puts them out in the movie. Or, uh, that's their distribu- distribution service for the videos. Mm-hmm, yeah. Because I've seen it before on the video. And it's so funny because you think you make a movie, you make a movie. But before companies like Sony and stuff put out their own stuff, you had to go to like a third person to actually get onto like a DVD and be released. Or sorry, uh, like a VHS. Mm-hmm. You figured that same company did it, but they're not into making... VHS movies, they're gonna make movie movies. So they basically relied on other companies to get their movies onto video, uh, trailers made for that coming to the release. You know, soon on DVD or whatever. So yeah, so this was this guy, and it was just, just all of a matter of circumstance. But I couldn't believe it when I was watching or when I was reading the thing. Mm-hmm. I'm like, you gotta be crapping me, you know <laughs> what I mean? And I'm looking back, and it's like, but it wasn't even like days later. They said that night <laughs> is when they got killed by. The, Wow. That's crazy. Jose Menendez is chairman of the board, president, and chief executive officer of Live Entertainment, joining us here in Los Angeles. And I should point out, this is the company, folks, that brings you the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles video, which, seriously, is a hot video right now. It is. So the company is broad-based, and it provides uh, pretty much what the consumer wants. Mm-hmm. And you must have projections for down the road what you're expecting to make at some point. But we think 1989 will be a tremendous year. Tired of good girls? Good night, Charlie. Ready for some real excitement? Looking for someone incredibly seductive? Do you know how to use your lips, Charlie? Then this is your lucky night. Welcome to Fright Night. Fright Night 2. Kill well, yeah, what's your thoughts on uh, Friday Night Part Two? Because I, 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 when I watched it, I go, it's not that bad. It's I, I thought it was going to be a lot worse. I mean, it does feel like very stylized. It's it's a lot more stylized than the first movie. I think uh, it's a pretty decent performance by William Ragsdale, and uh, you know he's he's now in his college years. He's going to therapy, and he kind of like convinced himself that, or he's trying to he's trying to convince himself that. What he just happen. yeah nothing happened. What he experienced it was just a figment of his imagination. He has a different girlfriend, a college girlfriend. Uh, you know, Ed doesn't come back, or Amy doesn't come back. Uh, Riley McDowell comes back, but he's you know he's only kind of uh, it's not really well written for that character. And and then uh, Jerry apparently in this movie Jerry has a sister, and she's the one who's the main bad guy. The main bad villain. I, I don't remember her name. Regine or something. I actually 
I actually loved. It's kind of like it's the same, the same arc, the same. It's made a couple years later. He's in college, like you said. I like the fact that the the his sister. It's kind of like she's got a squad. It's not just her. Three or four other types of like there, I think what there's like there's a werewolf, and then there's like two different kinds of vampires, and then one thing that like like the thing the guy from Cobra, like you know what I mean? There are <laughs> it's like a group instead of just one vampire and like her minions. I like that part. I think the, I think the character's name is Regine. She's the uh, she's the 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 main baddie. Yeah, and she's the the lead. She's a performance artist, I believe. And 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 yeah, her group of of vampires are a bunch of different. Yeah, John Grease, I believe his name is. Uh, yeah, he plays like kind of this wolf-like vampire, and Brian Thompson, who you were saying from Cobra, he plays like kind of the butler. He's and he like loves bugs. There's a, there's a lot of things to love about the, the the movie. It's very slick. It's very kind of uh, well directed. Very kind of studio friendly. Or, but I, I kind of miss is missing that kind of that that kind of passion of, of monster movies that you got from Tom Holland, the original writer director of the first movie he's he's he didn't come back for this one it's uh you're like you were saying it's the guy from um tommy lee uh wallace who i, I believe he's from john Car- carpenter's camp he was uh he did um he did the tv series for it oh did he also yeah he was the one he directed that one so he has uh he doesn't have nothing under his belt Oh wow! Yeah, yeah, yeah. Great. That's a great. Well, that that's a great miniseries. I mean, he, yeah, like like I was saying, he's from the John Carpenter's camp. He was uh, he worked with him for many years. Uh, he did uh, um, Halloween three before this movie, before Fright mm-hmm. Night two, and so there's there's just a different stylistically. There's a just a different look to it, and it, uh, so it's not it's not a bad movie. I think it's it's much better than I expected. But I think just trying to reinvent it as just, you know, here's Charlie in his college years and he's kind of dealing with the same thing. But in this case, he's the one who gets seduced by uh, the main uh, vampire where Peter Vincent has to kind of save his life. But um, it was fun. It's not that bad. I mean, I wish it was better. It was kind of a lost movie for, for many years until the new resurgence of the the franchise. And I guess people went back to try to 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 find it and... I think it's getting somewhat somewhat of a small cult following, but um, yeah. And the other thing I would say is that I, Roddy McDowell kind of seems his for him. Uh, I thought his character seemed a little. I felt almost sorry for him in this role because it took more of a comic relief for me kind of thing, because he's playing like the second fiddle to now nobody believes him. You know what I mean? And I don't know. I. I liked it, and I, he did great in it. But it, he didn't. His character doesn't have the same, uh, not believability, but the same power it did for me in the first one. The same, like I didn't feel the same way that I felt about his character in the first one. That in the second one, I mean, he was still cool, but it was just kind of like now he's trying to convince Charlie that it's real. It, I didn't like that part of the role reversal. Mm-hmm. Not a, you can only do so much where you start <laughs> switching things. Yeah, you you want to like kind of expand the character's journey and like go through. Like I would I would love to see uh, Ed in this one or Evil in this one because that's kind of they were setting that up in the in the last movie if they were going to do a sequel. Well, I heard that he was actually involved in making that nine seven six Evil movie. Mm. So uh, and it's funny because nine seven six was uh, Robert England his debut a oh. filmmaker mm-hmm. like our directing. So Freddy Krueger. Directed a movie, nine seven six evil, and uh, yeah, uh, so uh, that Stephen Joffrey guys was in the middle of making that one, 
because they wanted to bring back a they wanted to bring him back and they they kind of settled for like you said the 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 same it's odd it's that same guy that plays like the werewolf character in this one mm-hmm. plays the werewolf from monster squad so they went with him instead oh okay and like yeah so he kind of instead of calling him ed and stuff they just they kind of made it a little homage to his character what would it would kind of would have been mm-hmm. Yeah, so yeah, like you like you were saying, I think it's not it's not a bad movie. I think it, it unfortunately because it's a night it's uh, the Fright Night franchise, it doesn't really live up to the original. You're talking. I think this one would have had to go head up against Lost Boys. It would have been destroyed. You know what I mean? Oh those, yeah, 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 yeah. Those yeah, those newer mm-hmm. ones coming out right after the fact. Yeah, it wasn't gonna it was gonna get buried by those anyway. Well, let's get into uh, the 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 recent remake of Fright Night, the 2011. Uh, this is a movie that you kind of recommended uh, for me to watch. I mean, I, yeah. I, and you know what's funny is that when I heard they were remaking Friday Night, I literally anybody who would listen to me was vocally against it. <laughs> I don't like remakes when the first one is good. There are movies that need to be remade, like movies that almost were good, and please, Lord, remake them. But when the movie was good, don't touch them. You know, I get angry. It's like you, what did you, like your Hollywood? Don't you know? Quit taking the same shit you know pull your pants up go make a new shit and uh (laughs) i saw an interview with colin farrell and colin farrell was talking about how he was such a fan of the original and he knew directors names he knew so much about it and i believed him and i'm like okay i grew up watching halloween and friday the 13th and knew who Michael Myers was by the time I was six and Jason Voorhees and all that crew and then Freddy Krueger was very much my generation but I, I think I understood Fright Night um, in the way that it was possibly intended yes there were some scares there was some horror but there was a there was a kind of a self-awareness to it that, that spoke to its sense of humour that spoke to it not taking itself too seriously now listen to me we draft up all the disappearances that's you right there in the centre next to his house I really hate to be the one to tell you this but that guy your neighbour Jerry yeah he's a vampire that is a terrible vampire name Jerry he's the bad guy and I hesitate to say I'm the good guy but I'm the you're the hero the alright guy that's supposed <laughs> to defeat evil you know and there's always a kind of tension you know like Love is the flip side of hate, isn't it? Oh, God, I love Anton Yelchin. He is one of my favorite actors, and it's, he's the one that he had that tragic death, right? Yeah, yeah, unfortunately. God, dude, he was, he's so talented, man. That's horrible. Like, Ah, Thomas, oh, man, that is such a great movie. And then he was, like, something with the parking brake, and his own car ran over him or something? Yeah, it was, oh. a, freak, it was a freak accident. He died, um, yeah, he died in 2016, at 27. 27, man. He was already kind of starring in those Star Trek reboot films. He was getting his but name out there. so good. So good, dude. He's, dude, have you seen Odd Thomas, right? Tell me you've seen Odd Thomas. <laughs> I, I didn't. <laughs> oh, my God. Watch Odd Thomas. It is the greatest. I think Odd Thomas is a series of books. And yeah, it was Dean, Ar- like, Dean Arcoons or something, Dean Arcoons, right? Dean yeah. yeah, yeah. But, oh, my God. It is such a good movie, man. And he is such a good actor. He's way good. I uh like my kids love Odd Thomas. They actually I had them watch the remake of Friday Night and they really liked it. Cuz I mean it's got McLovin, okay. it's got Dave Franco, Tony Collette. Um and then it's got uh Emotion Poots. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Guess that's how you do. And dude, I don't know why I love her. Yeah. She is so weird or stars in the weirdest movies, but I can't get enough of her. 
man. I like that movie, Vivarium. Mm-hmm. Have you seen that one? I've seen that one, yes. Yeah, that was the weirdest movie, but for some reason I liked it. She was so good in it. The Art of Self-Defense. I guess it's weird to her with the, that's the same dude she's with. Uh, God, the guy that's in um, Zombieland. Oh, um, 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 Jesse Eisenberg. Yeah, Jesse Eisenberg. So they're both those Art of Self-Defense and Vivarium. You oh, seen yeah. Art of Self-Defense? Uh, no, I haven't seen that one. <laughs> okay, dude, that's right up your alley. That's a weird movie. She was in I Kill Giants. I don't know why I like her as much as I do. She's even in that new show. Uh, that's a weird one. Um, Outer Range, yeah. Outer Range, yeah. yeah. But uh, the cast on the remake was great, don't you think? Yeah, I really liked uh, the cast. Because uh, this, you know, you, you saw this back in, what, 2011 when the movie came out? Yeah, I saw it right when it came out. We were planning to do this podcast episode. Uh, so I go, let me just check out the 2011 you recommended. And uh, yeah, it's not that bad. I mean, I think if, I hate to be this guy. I hate to be like... Well, it diverted too too much away from the original source material because, like, the Peter Vincent's character, who I you know really loved that he was a a washed up actor and he's the host of a, of a horror series. And this one, he's a a magician in in Las Vegas. And although David Tennant is good in in the, in the part, I I hate the, the they totally changed that character. So that, really, but I think they had to for the kids because maybe you, just like we were saying, yeah, those, those was, roles they don't have them anymore. They don't have. People that like host late night movies or anything anymore. Yeah, I, I, I mean, he's much younger in this in this in this film too. I mean, he because usually he's in the original film he's a, he's old he's kind of older Hollywood kind of uh, actor. But uh, yeah, but I think they're, they're making fun of like aren't they making fun of like the Chris Angel, the David Blaine, yeah, yeah. Chris, <laughs> Chris Angel, yeah. yeah. Yeah, and it's set in Las Vegas, and Las Vegas kind of plays a part in the in the film because it's like isolated. It's you know it's in desert uh, area. I like that fact though, because that's—I mean—if you're going to be a vampire, and you—you you know, the Vegas is 24 hours. You know, everybody's awake at night, so it's a lot easier to to be involved. <laughs> yeah, and you can't yeah. go out during the day. But I, I agree with you with Imogen Poots. I think she's very good in the, in the in the in the movie, and she's a great actor. I mean, she kind of reteams with Anton Elchin in a great film called Green Room. You seen Green Room? Mm. The kind of neo-Nazi skinhead. Uh, I don't think so. Oh, dude, watch it. It's one of like kind mm-hmm. of uh, Anton Yeltsin's uh, f- last movies, and I'll he it out then. he is a punk rocker who's touring around different uh, uh, cities, and they're like a really kind of dingy punk rock. T- this is not like a like a famous punk rock band. They're just kind of going to uh, gig after gig after gig, and they find themselves in this club, which they find find out that. It's- oh, you know what? I saw the trailer for this. <laughs> this is like a four or five year old movie. See, I think I think I was looking at it because. It was under horror, but then when I read the synopsis, I didn't see any, you know what I mean? Like, I was thinking horror, like, supernatural, like, I just, like, I, like, uh-huh. I wasn't sure if I was going to like it, because it, it was like, okay, it's really got a bad mark, because it's not technically horror, it would be like a thriller or something. Yeah, it's more thriller, but it is gruesome. It's There's a lot of gruesome uh, parts of it, so I would uh, su- suggest, you know, try to give that a look, but to get to, a, back to the remake of, of Fright Night... Again, I don't want to be this guy, but I don't like that the the changes that they they did in the movie. But but I, I, I like what are you saying? It's fine. I, I think also I like the idea that they were kind of reacting to the Twilight at the time. You know, this is 2011. Twilight Twilight it's at at its peak, and this is where it's trying to kind of bring back horror in the the vampire vampire genre. And it so there is some really cool stuff in it, but and. 
I hate to be the guy who like hates when people changes the original, but uh, I really find that the changes they do didn't make in the movie didn't work for me. But it's it's fine. It's not that. It's See, not... I, and I, I'm a hundred percent sure I would have been like you, uh-huh. except for that interview I saw with Farrell. It, it allowed me to let go. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I was able to find the inner peace that I needed <laughs> to let this uh, let this remake go. I, you know, uh, but see, the thing is, all the changes I saw made weren't done to say, hey, check it out. I've made this my movie. I saw all the changes as needing to be done to bring it current. You know what I mean? So it wasn't done just to be like, hey, check it out. I'm a great, I'm a great writer. You know, now instead of him just moving in next door with nothing to do, now he's a, he, he works nights at, in Vegas fixing stuff like IT guy. Or, you know what I mean? Now, instead of a doing late night TV show. Now this is like this ultra popular uh, magician. Like, I don't think they did it because somebody wanted to say, hey, I changed. Look, I changed it. Mm-hmm. I think it was just to get like new kids to watch it. Yeah, maybe. I, I mean, they have McLovin, Dave Franco. I don't know. Yeah, I think I think you, you might be right there. I think they're, you know, Cr- Christopher Mintz Plas, uh, the McLovin, he plays Evil Ed. Uh, I don't know if his his I don't know if that character works in the movie, but I love. Colin. Yeah, I don't think I would draw him straight to Evil Ed only because he's like instead of making him like nerdy, they made him like a lopper or what's it called? Those guys, larpers, the live oh, action role yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, they made him more nerd than just weirdo. And Charlie, like Charlie's also kind of pretty popular too. He's not like a nerd in this one too. Uh. But well, that's fine. That's fine. I don't have no problem with that. Well, they even they even uh, they even actually make reference to that. I think Franco even tells him like, "Dude, how did you get a girlfriend that hot?" <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, and he, he didn't even know. It was like he went from being one of the LARPer guys to all of a sudden, like hottest chick girlfriend. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but I want to say that Colin Colin Farrow is uh is just one of the it's, it's doing some really great stuff. I mean, I think uh you know this is at the point in his career where he was transitioning to an older actor, character actor. And like some of the stuff that he's been doing lately is great. He's fantastic in the new Batman movie where he's playing a lot. You know, he has this full on prosthetic playing uh, the penguin and he's great in that. And he, he he has like hit a certain stride in this, I guess down in his forties and he has hit a a certain stride in his career where he's like doing some excellent stuff. And I think it no longer the pretty face. Yeah. And I think that's, this was kind of the end. That's like that transitional period where he was going from pretty face to quality uh, character acting stuff. And I, uh, yeah, I think he's getting better in age. I think he's, uh, he great. He's doing some really great stuff. Now let's talk about the, uh, let's talk about Tony Collette. Okay. I love Tony Collette. I just can't believe she was in the worst movie ever made. What was that? Heredity. <laughs> oh my God. If I could get my money back or sanity mm. back. Have you seen that? Yeah. Hold on. Even the dogs don't like it. Me and my kid were watching that movie. We're, knock it off. Me and my kid were, me and my son were watching that movie. We were trying to give it a fair shake. Mm-hmm. Wow, dude. <laughs> that movie got so unrealistic and insane. Can I put those together? Unsane? That movie got so weird so fast. Man. And I just can remember people talking about that movie and. Oh, I, yeah, you, you, you see it. I see. I, I saw it. It, it. It's a movie that, uh, you know, consensus of that movie, like people really love it and think it's like some kind of like, uh, what they call it, uh, uh, elevated horror. 
but I, I found it to be kind of very kind of nihilistic. <laughs> you know, it's a, yeah. it's a movie that like, it's only really out there to, 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 you know, it's only there. out there. Yeah. It's, <laughs> it's, it's only there for shock value. I find. Yeah. And I, 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 I agree with you. I still think it's a good performance by Tony Collette. Uh, yeah, but, uh, yeah, but she should have read that script the second time. But I, I know what you're saying. Like these movies are are like okay, because you know this we've we've seen so many movies that we don't need to see a movie like this to be to push our limits and for us to be like look around and someone goes, oh, that was good. Okay, that's okay. That's a good movie. Then okay, mm-hmm. it's good. We loved it. Nah, you can't fool us, dude. You know what I mean? <laughs> that was just for no reason. <laughs> Well, like, because uh, we've seen some real weird ones, but that one just started going off the res and the whole thing with the kid's head out the window. And <laughs> then it's like, I know what I'll do. I'll just, I'll go to sleep and pretend nothing happened. <laughs> this, this is one of those messes that's going to clean itself up. <laughs> it's the stupidest thing I ever seen, dude. Well, the writer director of that movie is uh, this guy named Ari Aster. He went on to do his Midsommar, which is. I like- wouldn't even watch that <laughs> because of how horrible. It's equally divisive as well. I didn't like that movie either. Again, I think it's very nihilistic too. But, but you know, he has a lot of fans. I mean, a lot of people love that shit. And I, I, I based on the kind of movies I am into, I can't really, I can't really uh, put my finger and tell people they're wrong on what they like. So, yeah. Well, regardless, you know, to go back to Friday Night remake, I think it, it's a uh, definitely from the re- the recent horror movies. This was kind of a fun entertainment kind of mainstream horror movie. I think if I, if I saw that movie back then in 2011, I probably would have had a much funner time with it. But nowadays, I kind of, I don't know, I'm kind of <laughs> tired of mainstream horror. I, I want to see more kind of uh, artistic uh, uh, voices. I hear it's a little too, it's still a little too new to be classic. Like Fright Nights, the, the 85 is going to be, we're going to fill this way till we die on the 85. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So I guess that's it. I mean, that's it. That we, we we talked about the Fright Night franchise. You want to really quickly talk about the the, the sequel to this movie, <laughs> the remake, the sequel <laughs> to the remake's horrible. It's got this. It's got Charlie. He goes like to England on a foreign exchange thing. His teacher happens to be Dracula's first love or something, and it's it's not worth the watch at all. I mean, they even bring back all the characters. Uh, the part that's Roddy McDowell's part, now it's on one of these, uh, you know, they have the ghost hunter guys that do all their videos. Okay. Like, okay. The, yeah, the, the encounters, they go mm-hmm. into this haunted house. That's what this guy is mm-hmm. now, but he goes around the world trying to go into scary places. And so he's mm-hmm. he's at the same place that they happen to be at in Europe because there's some, uh, like, festival. And so they get him to help. Uh, it's cheesy. <laughs> so this is a total new cast. is a low-budget film. In- yeah. Yeah. So this is straight it's, it's, straight to video type of thing. Even the acting is yeah. Even the acting subpar. It's nobody. You're not going to recognize anybody. Nope, yeah. Nope, nope. <laughs> All right. So that was our kind of our take on the, on the the Fright Night franchise. Like we said, we we recommend the first original film. Uh, you know, if you you're into Colin Farrell, we, we could also recommend the, the the remake as well. It's not a bad movie, and the, even the sequel, the part two to the to to the original film, is of interesting fun kind of throwback it's more and that that feels like an that's a movie that kind of screams 80s uh, yeah, a little campy yeah it's very very slick and very campy and very much feels like those kind of uh, 80s horror movies at the time uh but yeah friday night i was, it was a very fun time going back and watching that movie again and having to see some of those great characters and some of those great performances again and it takes me back to a time where you know horror movies were were 
scary, but extremely, extremely entertaining. And so, yeah, uh, we'll, so we'll, we'll end with that. Uh, thank you for listening to Tarantino's. And, and, and yes, we'll continue with more episodes soon. Hopefully we have to set up a schedule where we, you know, we record some stuff uh, and uh, hopefully get more kind of um, rhythm, a rhythm and, and then put, putting out some of these episodes on, on a fixed date, you know, but and we don't want our fan to get upset. <laughs> Yeah, I think they say that the thing you should do with a podcast is that you should always release an episode on a fixed date. Uh, we didn't do that. <laughs> we haven't we haven't learned that lesson yet. So uh, yeah, we we didn't we don't know how to keep our, our fan base happy. <laughs> so uh, you're saying like yeah, so we will you know we're gonna set up a s- schedule where we could like record and because it's fun. It's fun looking back at these movies. At least uh, yeah, fun. it is. It's like a a, f- a first you know, a second look at a first time watch. Yeah. So thank you for listening to Tarantino's and uh, we'll be back very soon, hopefully. And uh, I'll say goodbye and take care. Later, everybody.